1: The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: All right, EJ... The dark day is upon us. It is Packers Day, (laughs) where we have to talk positively about the Green Bay Packers for roughly an hour and everything they're doing right and everything that they're doing to make Bears fans' life a living hell. We actually have to celebrate that for the first time all year. I'm not looking forward to it, but at the same time, I do find them a very fascinating team to talk about because they had one of the most under-the-radar Wildest off seasons of anybody in the league. Beyond the whole like Rogers will they won't they thing and the Devonte Adams trade, the amount of moves that they had to make just to keep themselves above water was incredible. And here's the thing: they pulled it off. They actually pulled it off. They kept most of their core together. Keyword most. When going into the off season, I thought they were left for dead. I thought they were screwed. But Brian Gutekunst and the rest of the front office and the coaching staff pulled out uh, all the stops and made everything happen that they possibly could have made happen. And they're, they're still in a pretty commanding position. So uh, hats off to them. It's the only time you'll catch me <laughs> cheersing the Packers this year. But uh, I, by the way, I grabbed my Angel's Envy Caribbean Cask Rye, one of the greatest ryes ever to grace this planet to get me through tonight. Um but yeah, it's Packers Day, EJ. Let's
1: do this shit. Yeah, I'm prepared. I had cheese for dinner, so I'm all set. I'm an expert <laughs> now. No. I'm not upset at all about talking about the Packers. They are a fascinating franchise and very talented and still in the driver's seat in the NFC North. We'll talk about that and all the moves they made. Like you said, they made a lot. They kept some, let some go, had 11 draft picks this year. So lots of movement, lots of new faces. I think the end result is probably about the same. We'll end up talking about that. But um, yeah, for one day, I can take my Bears hat off and talk about the Packers with with Vim and Vigor. And after that, I can you know go back to being a Bears fan, and it's fine. But I have a lot of respect for what they're able to do, and they've got a lot of great players. So the, the, the dirty little secret about the Packers is I usually love their drafts. And it bothers the hell out of me, and this year's no different. So we'll talk about that when we get to it.
0: Well, why don't we start off by doing our little 2021 recap, which we do for every single team. Uh, no real change of pace last year compared to what we're used to. Thirteen and four, first in the division, virtually unassailable at home. They were eight zero at home at Lambeau, five and four on the road. So again, above average winning percentage on the road. And they ended up being, uh, once again, right at the very top of the NFC, where we're used to seeing them. Closed out December really strong. Also, once again, where we're used to seeing them losing to San Francisco in January, but it's neither here nor there. We'll blame special teams for that one. Sorry, had to get the dig in. I know Packers fans, a whole bunch (laughs) of them just flipped uh, off the podcast in a rage. But hey, man, maybe beat San Francisco once in January and I'll stop making fun of you for it. But yeah, no, Uh, 2021 was a very usual Packers season, dominant in the regular season, somehow not getting it done in January, despite looking like an absolute threshing machine. Not going to lie, going into 2022, I kind of expect very little to be different outside of a couple key things we're going to talk about throughout the episode. But for the most part, the core is still together. The coaching staff is still great. The quarterback is still one of the best to
1: ever do it looking like same old Packers going into 2022. Yeah, I would agree with that up and down the line. I don't think that there's going to be significant change in the Packers' results. There may be significant change in their roster. There's not going to be a crazy change in results until there is no Aaron Rodgers or until he drops off a cliff skill-wise, which is clearly not happening. He is still functioning at one of the highest levels as an NFL quarterback, that we've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of quarterbacks in my time. If you talk about the top three quarterbacks in this league and you don't talk about Aaron Rodgers, I'm probably going to stop listening. I understand that people are going to talk about futures and what they might do and whatever. What Rodgers has done and is still doing is ridiculous. His level of efficiency and effectiveness as a quarterback is tremendous. People can talk about... QB wins all they want, which aren't really a QB stat. They can talk about failure to you know, win rings, finish it up in the playoffs, also not purely a QB stat. But if you look me straight in the face and tell me that you don't think Aaron Rodgers is one of the top three quarterbacks in this league, yeah, you're just I wrong. I you're don't wrong. think you're right. I just yeah. don't think you're right. We can argue all day long. Uh, I'm probably going to win that argument. So,
0: <laughs> uh, Let's look at the power structure now they've been around for a little while, at least most of them have. Uh, And I think that the Packers in terms of leadership at the top are in a a better place than they have been in quite some time, because not only do they have a great head coach and I think a well above average general manager and, uh, you know, great coordinators, but I think that it's a, it's a forward thinking building, I think in terms of how they approach, uh, you know, building a roster Uh, it's a, Modern offensive team, you know, the game management is worlds better than it was under Mike McCarthy. Like, (laughs) this is the first time – well, not this specifically, but this kind of Matt LaFleur era, all four years of it now, is the first time where I feel like Aaron Rodgers hasn't had to do everything by himself. You know, where it's not like if Aaron's not uh, having a perfect day, they're screwed. Like, they actually – have won multiple games either without Aaron himself or without Devontae. you know, I think of the the Cardinals game last year where they had no business winning that game. but the roster that Gutgunst has built, fifth years GM, 11 years total with the organization, uh, the the offensive line, the run game, the defense, it's not just Aaron Rodgers and 21 other dudes it's an actual cohesive organization that is built from the ground up to be successful, even if not every piece is there. Um, other than LaFleur and Gutekunst, who are obviously the two most important people there at the coordinator level, I really love their coordinators too. Adam Stenovich, even though he is first year, I'm a, I'm a big believer that even with the losses with, uh, with some of the other coaches that have left over recent years, getsi going to Chicago being a big one. I still think Stanovich is going to be just fine at offensive coordinator, especially because at the end of the day, it's Matt LaFleur's system. So as long as Matt LaFleur is head coach, whoever the offensive coordinator is, it's less important than if it was like a Mike Zimmer situation where he's completely hands-off on the offense. LaFleur being at the top is always going to give a lot more leeway to whoever the OC is. And then Joe Barry, a defensive coordinator, I think last year proved that He really knows what he's doing. I know there was the this time last year we were talking about his previous stint at DC with Washington before he coached under Staley with the Rams and we're like, we don't really know what to expect. No, when he was DC with the Packers last year, and you saw them implementing a lot of the the Fangio ish concepts that he coached when he was under Staley as well. You know, all the match quarter stuff and, you know, the odd front stuff and some very typical Fangio simulated pressures that they seemingly called every single time it was third and six. It looked like a Vic Fangio defense, and I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. So even though he's, quote unquote, unproven as the Packers DC, only two years on the job. I really only needed to see about 12 games last year before I was like, oh, he's really good at what he's doing. And I I hope for Packers' sake that he stays there for a long time because he really had that defense humming by, like, November. Um, And then Rich Passaccia, again, i got to bring up Rich Passaccia. Even though it's first year as special teams coordinator, we saw what he did when he was in Vegas. If that name sounds familiar to people, it's because he was the interim head coach uh, after the John Gruden firing. And considering everything that the Raiders went through last year, they still made the playoffs because of Rich Bisaccia. So it's not just the fact that he's a good special teams coordinator. It's the fact that he's just yet another one of these voices that a locker room can rally behind, that people believe in, that is a culture builder as a special teams coordinator, which sounds weird to say, but he really is. They don't make the playoffs last year in Vegas without Bisaccio being the interim. They played for him. They killed people towards the end of the year for him. So getting him as the special teams coordinator I thought was a coup for Green Bay because it's just yet another good dude to add to that locker room and build that culture and, you know, just kind of keep that dominant Packer winning way going for yet another year.
1: Yeah, they're not changing horses midstream here. Stenovich is just the next man up in terms of carrying that system forward. Lafleur really runs the offense, Stenovich was there last year under Getty, he gets it. Joe Barry very impressed with what he did and how he moved the Packers defense from where they were to where they are. And if you still, you know, if you haven't watched the Packers in a couple of years and you think, well, it's Aaron Rodgers and you know, some guys that can kind of hang on on defense. Uh uh-uh, uh, you didn't watch the end of last year. He had multiple guys at multiple levels of that defense playing the best football of their careers. So I'm not worried at all about Joe Barry from a Packers standpoint, from a Bears standpoint, I don't like it at all, but that's a whole different thing. And Basaccia is a huge get for them. Um, I would say one of the sort of two biggest veteran coaching moves, you know, coming from a head coach to a coordinator level, the other one being in Pittsburgh with Flores, but you know, Rich Basaccia, there was legitimate question as to whether or not he was going to be the next Raiders head coach when they made the decision mm-hmm. in the offseason. And, uh, you know, if you'd said that midseason, I think a lot of people would have sort of poo pooed that idea and been like, nah, it's, you know, this is just him playing out the string. By the end of the year, there was serious momentum. He made it very difficult for them to make that choice. So, didn't ultimately end up getting that job, but for LaFleur to reach out and say, hey, come be on my staff because you're a really good football coach, you're a really good guy, we could use you here, was um, just an under-the-radar, really, really good get for Green Bay.
0: Um, Adam Stenovich, by the way, when he got elevated from offensive line coach and run game coordinator to offensive coordinator, that then created a vacancy for, I don't want to say a Bears legend, but a Bears <laughs> legend adjacent. <laughs> assistant coach to then move up the ranks and become the new uh offensive line coach head offensive line coach and not gonna lie every time I see his name on the Packers
1: website it just pisses me off a little bit more that's funny because today the day we're recording this not the day it comes out uh, on Twitter Jarrett Payton posted a little like you know uh Twitter short (laughs) And he was like, when I got cut from the Titans, the Packers reached out and asked if I wanted to come in for a tryout. Hmm. And I said, hell no, because Peyton is never going on a green gold jersey. <laughs> he said, well, I have all the respect in the world. They're just for the Packers. keep
0: collecting all of them you know, yep. from those early Bears teams. He's like really more mid Bears teams.
1: Yeah. He was like, nope. I have all the respect in the world for Green Bay and the Packers. There was no way I was going to try out for them and and make that team. So notable coaches on offense for the Packers. There's a couple we're going to bring up. First one is Tom Clements, the QB coach. 22 years of NFL coaching experience. If you know anything about quarterback coaching, you've heard the name Tom Clements. He's been around a long time and worked with a lot of successful quarterbacks. Interesting thing about Clements is, as a player, he led Notre Dame to an undefeated season in a national championship in 1973, and then went on to play 12 seasons in the CFL. Not only play, he was a seven-time division all-star, he was the league MVP in 1987, two-time Grey Cup champion, that's the CFL Super Bowl, and he's in the CFL Hall of Fame. So as a player, a lot of people are like, oh, he played in the CFL. He didn't just play in the CFL. He was the most valuable player. He won a couple cups, and he's in the Hall of Fame. So knows what he's doing on the football field and has translated a lot of that knowledge into a very long and distinguished coaching career. You can't just bring anybody in to be the quarterback coach when you've got a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Mm -hmm. Rodgers, very cerebral, very opinionated, very good at what he does. He's not going to respond to just any – tom dick or harry off the street he needs somebody that has a deep understanding of the position and clements is one of the few guys in the league that fits the bill perfectly for them so very important coach and then the one you referenced in the open luke butkus the offensive line coach former nfl and nfl europe o lineman with the bears chargers fire and centurions and he is the nephew of nfl hall of famer dick butkus obviously the name sounds familiar Luke played at oh, Illinois. Oh, does it?
0: Oh, yeah, does it, EJ? a little bit.
1: You know, <laughs> some people have heard of that guy. I hope they should. If they haven't, look him up. Uh, but Luke played at Illinois, um, joined the Bears, uh, moved on to the Chargers, and then ended up extending his career in NFL Europe, but uh, gets to work with a very good and very versatile group of linemen. We were talking about this pre-show that the Packers have I would say one of the most versatile O-lines in the league. They have multiple guys that can play multiple spots well. And you might think that's the norm in the NFL because they're all great athletes or whatever else. It's not. Certainly not at the level they do it at. So he gets to sort of inherit that really good, very flexible group. And, yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. He has to keep Aaron Rodgers standing, and I'm sure that's a demanding job. But he's got a lot of great parts to work with there. On defense and special teams, got to start with Jerry Gray, the defensive back coach and passing game coordinator, former Titans defensive coordinator. Jerry himself, another very successful player, former first-round draft pick, played nine seasons in the NFL, was a consensus two-time All-American at Texas and two-time Southwest Conference Defensive Player of the Year as a safety. Mm Mm-hmm that's crazy. Like safeties don't win a lot of awards. It's very difficult to do, to do all that stuff two years in a row His final two years of Texas. Very decorated player, very established and experienced NFL defensive coach as well. So just another sort of arrow in the quiver of the Packers coaching staff to have him on the sidelines. Kirk Olivadotti, the inside linebackers coach, 19 seasons worth of NFL coaching experience. And he's the son of longtime NFL and CFB. Coach Tom Olivadotti, who was at Miami when they won their national championship and worked all around the NFL. So if the name Olivadotti sounds familiar, it's probably his dad, Tom Kirk himself, been around 20 years, uh, still trying to come out from under the shadow of his dad because his dad had so much success, but a great coach in his own right and did a great job last year with DeFondre Campbell and Michael Spurlock. This was one. So special teams, quality control coach. I was like, is that it's gotta be? Same and one. Same one first First player in Bucks history to return a kickoff for a touchdown, and the only player in Chargers history to return a kickoff and a punt for a touchdown in the same season. So, Michael Spurlock, uh, you know, I I think about as you know, besides just being an analyst on an NFL coaching staff, being a special teams quality control coach is is breaking in in terms of coaching, but he's going to be able to tell anybody that plays special teams on the Packers like, no, no. I know how to do this. It's okay. You can believe me. Uh, it's not something I read in a book. Um, you know, here's my YouTube highlights. I'm sure he's got them on his phone. But
0: uh, <laughs> by the way, can I just say how insane it is that for as long as the Buccaneers have been around, at this point, it took till the late 2000s to get a kickoff return for a
1: touchdown. Are you there, kidding me? <laughs> there are weird stats out there that you kick across and you go no. That's not, <laughs> surely they did it before that, absolutely. They must've, they've been around, blah, 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 And you look and nope, there's just some weird outliers where stuff doesn't happen for a long time. That is definitely one of them, but great group of coaches, great mix of experience. And they seem to have um, succession down. They know they're gonna have success. Multiple coaches have sort of been calved off the top of that organization like Luke Getze and moved on to other places they always seem to have a ready replacement and you don't get these big swings in the overall quality of the performance on the field. It's somebody that was already there coaching the system for three or four years, knows, okay, now you're stepping up, they're ready. They seem to have that sort of grooming process really well dialed and it shows in the consistency of the product they put on the field.
0: Yeah, no, it's one of the most stable organizations in sports. Always has been, always will be. I firmly believe that. Well, as long as... As long as they have Hall of Fame quarterbacks.
1: Maybe. I was going to say, <laughs> 30 years worth there. of Hall of Fame quarterbacking in a row will do that. Say,
0: it's been like, decades yeah. since they haven't had one, so I don't know. <laughs> maybe one day. We'll see. Although I just know that as soon as Rodgers retires, there's going to be like some contract dispute with Justin Herbert, and he's going to get traded to Green Bay and just start this nightmare all over again. I just know it. I can feel it in my bones. Don't you put that evil on me, <laughs> Coleman.
1: Don't you do that. <laughs>
0: Uh anyway, uh I, I kinda wanna get to the meat of this episode, which is framing the roster losses with their extensions together. Normally we kinda you know do all the, the roster losses first and then the retentions and then the third party additions. We're gonna throw up uh you know a big screen of all of their roster losses first, but I really want to put the notable losses and the extensions together together on one screen so that you can see them together, because they all kinda had something to do with each other. When you look at where the Packers entered into this offseason cap-wise, they were not in good shape. They had virtually no money to work with. In fact, they were well over the cap, and they had to do a whole bunch of restructures to get back under the cap. It was like 45 million over the cap or something like that. They were, they were a slightly less egregious version of the Saints. And so they had to do a whole lot of moves, both in terms of cutting players, and extending players, and restructuring players, and asking veterans to take pay cuts just to get to like a million under the cap. And so, before we even get to the Devonte Adams trade, which in itself freed up like 20 million or something like that, before we even got there, these were all of the moves they made to collectively Free up eighty-one point seven million dollars in cap space. Extensions: Preston Smith, Aaron Rodgers, Jair, Jair Alexander, which by themselves are an unbelievable amount of money. But at least for this year, it freed up eight point three million for the Preston Smith deal. Preston Smith deal: eighteen point one million was relieved from this year's cap hit in the Aaron Rodgers extension. Jair Alexander's new deal freed up six point two million. In terms of restructures, Kenny Clark's restructure freed up 10.9 this year. Aaron Jones' restructure freed up 3.1. David Bakhtiari's restructure freed up 7.7. And uh, Adrian Amos' restructure freed up 4.7 million. They outright cut Zadarius Smith because they had to choose between one Smith brother or the other. They chose Preston Smith, especially because Rashawn Gary was one of the very best pass rushers in all of football last year, he was third in total pressures for the league. They weren't going to keep all three of those guys. So they cut Zedarius Smith. He was dealing with injury issues. That freed up 14.6 million. And they also cut Billy Turner, who is relatively underperforming at right tackle anyway. And offensive line, at least now after the draft, is very deep for them. So they didn't really need Billy Turner anymore. Cut him, freed up 2.7. And then they uh they knocked $5.5 million off from Randall Cobb, who took a pay cut. To stay in Green Bay and make one last run with Aaron, so that's how they got eighty one point seven million, and then they traded Devonte Adams, because even after all of that, the Devonte situation had deteriorated to a point where it seems like there was really no at, no way out of that. Um, it has been reported that they offered more than Green Bay, and he wanted to go to Vegas anyway. I'm sure the truth was somewhere in the middle, but you know, even going into free agency last year, before free agency even happened, it was reported that he bought a big-ass house over in Vegas, which kind of told you where he was leaning regardless. He wanted to go play with his best friend Derek Carr. I get it. I, I totally do. But all in all, that left them with a pretty decent amount of cap space this year. If you look at uh, 2022 cap space, they have the... One two three four five sixth most remaining cap space in the league right now, at roughly 17 million. Now, did the Packers use that 17 million to then go buy somebody else or trade for somebody else, try to fill in, you know, some holes in the receiving core or anything like that? No, not really. When you look at third-party additions, really the only two that we even need to note are Jerron Reed uh, and Sammy Watkins, who collectively are $5 million total. And you might be wondering, okay, why did they do that? They they freed up all this money. They got not just under the cap, but well under the cap. They have more money than most other teams in the league. Why didn't they then go spend it? Well, they can't. (laughs) If you look at their 2023 cap space, they're actually once again positioned to be well over the cap next year before we get to restructures and everything like that. They have the eighth fewest amount of cap space in 2023. And in fact, they're about 7.4 million over the cap. And that's mainly because looking at their 2023 cap hits, that's when a lot of the stuff that they did this year is starting to balloon out next year. So Aaron Rodgers' cap number next year, is $31.6 million. David Bocciaris is $29 million. Kenny Clarks is $24 million. Jair Alexander costs 20. Aaron Jones costs 20 For a running back, good lord. Rashawn Gary costs almost $11 million. Um And then we got Preston Smith at $13 million. So again, the core of this team is still incredibly expensive next year. So they weren't about to spend a whole bunch of money this year because they're going to have to go through this song and dance again 11 months from now. So... That's where we stand. They couldn't keep the entire core together. It was mathematically impossible. They had to make moves. They had to free up money. They extended who they could. They restructured who they could. They kept Aaron, which in the end was obviously the most important thing. But you knew that somebody was going to draw the short straw here. And it was inevitably going to be Zadarius Smith. And then Devontae chose to go to Vegas, seemingly. All in all... Considering the circumstances, I think Brian Gutekunst did as good a job as he possibly could have. There was really no scenario where everybody stayed, so he did what he could, and the roster is still in a mostly good spot, other than a few key holes that we'll talk about when we address the
1: draft. We talked about this in the middle of last season, and and you said it before I did, that with all the tumult with all the upheaval with all the uncertainty surrounding Aaron uh, there was just there was no sure thing about him coming back to Green Bay this year Looked like he might be the guy that gets traded to the Broncos or retires or does whatever else the Jordan Love start pretty much solidified oh we're not doing that Yeah. (laughs) Like at that point, Green Bay pivoted and said, we need to throw ourselves on our swords no matter what and get Aaron back in this building. And for, you know, for as many years as he'll give us, there is, and you said, there's no other option. They have to do this. And I wasn't quite so sure. There was a lot of smoke around that for a long time. It made the most sense, but I wasn't sure they could pull it off. The fact that they did, that they are here from there, is a really impressive stretch of reversal by the front office. They had been sort of beating the war drums and and you know, throwing their quarterback under the bus as much as a front office will do. It was acrimonious to say the least and to be here now with Aaron Back for another year and sitting basically atop the division with lots of their talent still intact. I would say most of their high-end talent still in the building it's an amazing move but make no mistake it was the one start from the guy they drafted in the first round and they said nope we're not willing to deal with that we will take aaron Rodgers for any cost for any length of time we'll do whatever we have to do now and in the future to throw up a huge balloon of money i'm always really fascinated when people say oh the packers are a small market team they don't spend money i'm like they're spending $101 million on five guys in this list this year. Mm-hmm. Five guys. Yeah, one of them is Rodgers at 50, but Preston Smith at 13, Jair at 21, Devonta Campbell at 10 for an inside linebacker, Russell Douglas, who they not signed re-signed seven. All those guys are good players. They're spending $101 million on five guys. Don't tell me the Packers don't spend money. They do spend money. They're spending it hand over fist right now to keep that window pried open for as long as Aaron Rodgers wants to keep slinging a football for them because they know that's the key. Now, no sure path to get there, but they got it done, and therefore they're going to reap the rewards again. If they hadn't been able to do that, if they'd kept Devontae, one reason or another, and Aaron had left, we'd be having a very different discussion on this podcast.
0: I think the parallels between the one game that Pat Mahomes started in 2017, the very <laughs> last game of 2017, where it was against Denver, and he made some just ridiculous throws because, of course, he's Pat Mahomes. But that was even before people outside of the Chiefs building knew what Pat Mahomes was going to be. People inside the Chiefs building we're like oh yeah no that's normal for him but the rest of the world was like holy shit okay they got something there that one game was really what solidified them moving on from Alex Smith the following year on the opposite side of the spectrum the one game against the chief the against the chiefs excuse me from Jordan Love i think solidified the opposite of we we already have a superhuman at quarterback <laughs> let's not do anything to uh to rock that boat and fuck this up any more than it already is. Let's just throw 50 million at him. You know, we'll let him get some weird astrology tattoo and go do his ayahuasca retreats in the off season. He's going to do whatever he's going to do. But as long as he's doing it while playing football for us, we don't care. That's their general mindset right now. And to be honest, I don't really blame them just based no, on what we've seen I, from Jordan Love. I don't blame I can, them at all.
1: I can just see in my mind's eye, and this is just what I want to see, Goody just like kicking open the door to the conference room, <laughs> saying to Aaron, let's not be rash. <laughs> yeah. What is it you'd like? We'll start with that. Here's a here's a blank piece of paper. You write that number down, and, and we'll go back to our office, <laughs> fire up the calculators, and get it done, because we know where we need to go, and we're 100% sure, and we will... We will kiss the ring right now, and that's what this is. This is Green Bay kissing the ring and saying, we will keep you here because we've seen the other side and we want no part of it.
0: And I think that that's probably as good a transition as any into talking about their draft, because looking at their draft, and this was going into the draft with information that Devontae was gone. At that point, he was gone. Their number one receiver was Sammy Watkins or Alan Lazard we were screaming from the rafters. Don't just use your first round pick on a wide receiver. Use both of them on a wide receiver. You can't take any chances here. And then when the top two picks came in and they were on defense, we were losing our minds. We're like this, what are they doing? This is the exact opposite of how you're supposed to make Aaron Rodgers happy. And then day two happened. And then day three happened. And at least for me, I don't know about you, Made me go back to, okay, in Goody we trust. Because not only did they not panic, I was panicking. I'm not even a Packers fan, I was panicking. Not only did Goody not panic, and he just stuck to his board and he took the best players. But looking at who he took on day two and day three, they probably got them one or two or sometimes three rounds later than I thought they should have gone and actually ended up with a stronger overall class because they just stuck to their board, which is why Goody is a professional GM and I'm not. So off the top of this, before you go through the picks one by one, I just want to say he was right. I was wrong. And thank God that he is the GM on behalf of Packers fans at least. Thank God he is the GM of the Packers because I would have drafted entirely differently and probably ended up with a worse class.
1: Totally possible. (laughs) Especially looking at what he was able to accomplish with their 11 picks. I'll start off with the bad news. I love this class. Mm. That's bad news. Great news for Packers fans, not great news for me. I love this class. And that, like I said at the top of the show, is not uncommon. I typically have at least a couple of draft crushes that I'm in love with after my months of draft study that end up going to the Packers uh, most notably in recent history Darnell Savage was one of those guys Loved, loved, loved Darnell Savage he ends up going to the Packers of course he does they do it all the time but there are three picks in this draft that I don't like have strong feelings about one way or another positively I'm just kind of like meh and two of them are seventh rounders And the other one is the very first one they made. So there's a lot to sort of unpack here about first impressions. And a lot of Packers fans felt the same way. So round one, pick 22, Quay Walker, inside linebacker from Georgia. Quay Walker is a fine player. He is possibly, well, not possibly. He was my third rated out of the trio of Georgia linebackers that came out this year. He was my number three. Doesn't mean he's a bad player. He's not very talented athlete great size really good range but you and i talked about linebackers doing linebackery things and we've trademarked that term now we're gonna have a t-shirt that says linebackery (laughs) quay walker was possibly the the least best at doing the linebackery things make splash plays but his two running mates at georgia were higher on my board because they were better at those things okay in goody we trust let's see what happens with quay walker Then the picks start to roll in that I really like. Second pick in the first round, six picks later, pick 28. Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle, Georgia. In my mind, the best sort of pure three-tech penetrating defensive tackle in this draft. Great get at the end of the first round. The rich get richer. A very strong defensive line gets another very strong piece from a good program. No issues with that. Round two, pick 53. One of the guys I really liked uh, who was on our 10 gems list. Christian Watson, wide receiver, North Dakota State. Tall, freakish, a lot of people worry about the drop rate. I wouldn't so much. He's going to need a year. Is he going to make all those plays this year? Nope, that's not why they drafted him. He is the down-the-line replacement for X. They want him to be the big guy outside that runs deep routes, As insanely athletic. He's got all the tools. Let's see how he polishes up, but a great get, and that's where I think Packers fans started to exhale a little bit and go, okay, he's not going to go the whole draft and not pick a wide receiver. Pick three, or sorry, round three, pick 92, one of our favorites, Sean Ryan, the offensive guard from ucla played tackle at ucla everybody in the world knew he's going to be a guard super powerful again brings that flexibility that the packers love on their offensive line can play two positions already has um is going to slot in i would say sooner rather than later as a starting guard for the packers he absolutely has that kind of potential round four pick 132 romeo dubs wide receiver nevada carson strong's big target there underrated probably because he played at nevada uh I think gained a little bit of momentum, but was sort of more, you heard more about Dubs in the back channel than you did on all the splashy boards of who's going to get drafted first. Mm -hmm. Would I be terribly surprised if Dubs ended up having a better NFL career than Christian Watson? I wouldn't. Christian Watson has way more potential. I think Dubs right now is probably a better wide receiver. Now, might not stay that way, but he is a quality get in round four. Great grab by Goody and the staff. Round four, pick 140, eight picks later, Zach Tom, offensive lineman, Wake Forest. One of the most athletic offensive linemen in this draft. Uh, Can play tackle. A lot of people talked about him playing center. Is this a theme? Yes, this is a theme. The Packers love offensive linemen with versatility. Zach Tom picked up a lot of momentum in the last... Six weeks before the draft, as a very chic, uh, potential pick at offensive line, if you just watched his pass sets, if you just watched Zach Tom's pass sets, you would have absolutely balked at the idea that he was available anywhere near round four. His pass sets are pretty, like, really, really good. I know you had him more highly ranked than I did great I mean, get a first round pick I know it's unreasonably know. high on Zach Thomas. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I would agree unreasonably is a great word there uh round five pick 179 one of my favorites that I think is terribly underrated Kingsley and Igbari uh outside linebacker South Carolina you can call him five tech you can call him edge be really interesting to see how they use him I think they slot him in behind Preston Smith and or Rashawn Gary both find out what they like him better as in their system but very productive guy at South Carolina with a lot of power needs needs a counter move pretty badly but beat some very good tackles soundly so to be able to get a guy like that in the fifth round again not typical in the draft more players in this draft very deep edge class you're gonna get lucky sometimes the Packers do it again Now, round seven, one of the aforementioned picks I wasn't super wild about, pick 228, Tariq Carpenter, linebacker, Georgia Tech, meh, neither here nor there, Uh, but you're talking about a seventh rounder, so that's fine. If they love him and they met with him and they like his attitude and his skills, he's going to start off fighting for a special team spot, being a practice squad backup, that's fine. As a seventh-round pick. They had four picks in the seventh round. Their second was pick 234, Jonathan Ford, the DT from Miami, University of Miami. That was the other seventh-round pick. I was like, meh. But again, you're talking about dart throws. You're talking about lottery tickets. You're talking about seventh-round picks. They have two more of them, and, man, they nailed them both. This this hurt my heart. This was just Goody and his staff like putting out their cigarette on my chest <laughs> because – Pick 249, Rashid Walker, the offensive tackle from Penn State, who I had a much higher rank on than that. I would have been perfectly comfortable if somebody, <clears throat> cough, cough, bears, had picked him anywhere after the middle of the third round. I think he's got great potential. If you don't agree with me, watch the Michigan game. Yes, he had his fair share of losses, but he also had a ton of wins against two guys that would should have been first-round pass rushers. Hutchinson was, and... Um, Ajabo, Ajabo who popped his Achilles at his pro day is would have been if he hadn't popped his Achilles. He would have gone on the first round. So Rashid Walker, I think, has tons of potential. The fact they got him in the seventh round tells me there was something going on there. Could have been injuries, could have been off the field, something we didn't see because the tape said this is way better than a seventh round offensive tackle. And then their last pick, 258, Samari Touré, the wide receiver from Nebraska, speedster. Got to see him at the Shrine Bowl. He will tear the top off. I could see him playing in the slot next year for the Packers, and that being a very, very good thing as exactly that the speed slot threat to just be the can opener get out there deep fly post everything just tear safeties off and make them run with him because he is a legit low four three guy he's tall enough he's got good hands he quietly had a very good week at shrine bowl uh wasn't as good underneath again didn't run the full route tree at nebraska but when he got to open his legs up very few people could handle him and you could just see the panic from dbs when he really opened up stride because they knew he was super fast so top to bottom 11 picks stock the roster when i'm worrying about seventh round picks as the only two i didn't really like that's a nailed draft top to bottom
0: he reminded smart story i should say reminded me a little bit and i'm not saying he is but i think in terms of body type and skill set coming out of the draft. I thought it was pretty similar to Kenny Stills, who himself was a day three pick, you yep. know, coming out of the, the Big 12. He was also like one ninety 190, one ninety five 195 when he was at OU, roughly the same size. Um, you know, much faster in pads than time speed, I would say, for Kenny Stills, even though Kenny Stills timed well. When you go back and watch those OU teams from, you know, the early 2010s there was not a soul in the country that could run with him and I think Samari Torres potentially of a similar mold now the other two receivers that they took Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs massive fan of both of them will they start for this team maybe not week one because Aaron Rodgers is one of those quarterbacks that heavily relies on communication and you know reading the defense a certain way because there's side adjusts all over this offense and you know he and Devonte oftentimes just kind of mix it up as they go just based on little glances to each other it's a big reason why he wanted randall cobb back and why he not even lobbied demanded that they bring randall cobb back was because cobb knew how to read defenses the way that rogers does and that's the number one quality he looks for in a receiver is not just physical talent but can you read a defense the same way that i read a defense Whether it was Jordy, Devontae, Cobb, James Jones, any of those guys. That's the one shared quality all of them have. So do I think that Watson and Doves will start early? Probably not because they don't have the experience with Rodgers yet to know pre-snap how he's going to read a certain look and how they should be adjusting their route. Cobb does. Lazard does those maybe amari rogers does a little bit but i don't really have a whole lot of faith in amari rogers at this point so yeah um but those are going to be the two starting receivers at least at first eventually you know once watson and Dubs learn more about how Rodgers reads and obviously he's working with them in camp and coaching them up and you know doing his coach on the field type stuff eventually towards the back half of the season I do expect them to get significant snaps and push for a starting role because Watson is more talented than Lazard. And he's, at this point in their careers, much more talented than Cobb. And Dubs is also extremely talented. As they get more experience, they will get more on the field to the point where once we get to December and January, wouldn't be shocked if if they come out in 11 personnel, it's Lazard, Watson, and Dubs, not Lazard, Cobb, and Watkins. So that's how I kind of see it is it's an investment in the future. Uh so the first half of the season might be a little rough compared to what we're used to seeing, but by the back half, they'll be they'll probably be fine. The Quay Walker pick, I'm right there with you. I saw him as the third of the Georgia linebackers, but all of the Georgia linebackers were awesome. So it's not like he's a bad player. It's more just you know, he was in the same same rotation as N'Kobe Dean and Channing Tyndall, who were both fucking amazing so I was lower on that pick solely because I was so zeroed in on receiver and if you're gonna take a linebacker I at least would have wanted it to be you know maybe Devin Lloyd who was available at that time so I was a little bit annoyed at it but it's not it's not that it was a bad pick it's just based on my own individual grades it's not what I would have done
1: they did make up for it yeah this is your classic right if you'd taken christian watson and clay walker and swapped them
0: oh flip them i would have been totally cool. you would have been
1: like yes yeah i would have been (laughs) great with it because watson
0: was one of my five highest graded receivers in this class right now they got lucky they got him in the second round so in the end it ended up not mattering but in the gap between the 22nd pick and uh what was watson the the 53rd 53rd pick yeah. You know, in those 31 picks in between, I was sweating bullets the whole time because I'm like, oh my God, there's only two guys left on the board that I thought could have been wide receiver ones, and it was Watson and George Pickens. I didn't think that they were going to get either of them, and they ended up both being available. They ended up getting Watson. So, again, they, they, it worked out. But going into day two, after seeing what they got on day one, I was, on behalf of Packers fans, I was nervous to say the least because. They still had not addressed the position at that point. Um, Devontae Wyatt, I do think, is going to get significant snaps early on because right now he's basically just competing with Lowry and Reed to be uh, next to Kenny Clark. And I think at least in third down situations, he's going to be the one next to Kenny in nickel. In base, I could see him, you know, maybe not starting in base, but minimum in nickel he's going to be on the field because other than Kenny Clark himself, he's the best interior pass rusher they've got. Um, and then one last thing I want to talk about the offensive linemen, Sean Ryan and uh, Zach Tom. When you look at how their offensive line shook out last year, there was a lot of shuffling going on, but that's nothing that Green Bay's not used to. Myers got hurt, so then Lucas Patrick had to shift over to center, and then Newman had to play guard, and then Myers came back and. Then Patrick shifted back over to guard and Newman went to the bench and then Myers got hurt again and they had to reshuffle and Elk Jenkins plays everything so it doesn't even really matter and Bakhtiari was hurt. So everybody was just constantly kind of moving around and they still made it work because they have amazing offensive line coaches. When they took Sean Ryan and Zach Tom, even though both of them played tackle, both of them are going to be interior players for them. But the good news is that Both of them could move around and shuffle just like we're used to seeing with Packers offensive linemen. So Zach Tom, uh, even if he's, you know, a backup guard to Newman and Runyon, I still think that he could push Josh Myers to be the starting center because I think he's more talented than Josh Myers is. Not that there's nothing against Josh Myers, but I think Zach Tom is an amazing prospect. You go watch him against Jermaine Johnson. He absolutely dominated Jermaine Johnson, who was a first-round edge rusher. Like, Zach Tom took his lunch money. So, yeah, he could either be a backup guard or he could be a backup tackle or he could be a backup center or even push to be a starting center just like a young Elton Jenkins was. And then Sean Ryan, I think, is going to push both Runyon and Newman at guard as well. And this is nothing against Runyon and Newman. But I think Sean Ryan is incredibly powerful and being a tackle convert to the inside. I think that he possesses a lot of the same qualities as Runyon and Newman, but might even have more power in his punch than those two. So I loved this, this third and fourth round tandem of offensive linemen because they can push no fewer than three guys to be starters on the interior, even as rookies. And then if Bakhtiari is healthy... And if Jenkins stays healthy, you got two incredible bookend tackles as well. So the offensive line is not just in as good a shape as it was last year. It might be in even better shape than it was last year. And that's saying a lot because this is already one of the best offensive lines in the entire
1: league. Fully agree that the cupboard is more well-stocked and more well-stocked with players that fit the system and the culture, and those are a little bit different in Green Bay. The system is the one we talked about. That's LeFleur's system, formerly run by Getzy, you know, being inherited by an assistant coach now. And so that's the system. So they have the skills to run that, but they also have that versatility, the experience at multiple positions, um, power. They're both really good fits. And like I said, I love this draft class and I hate that. So this is a love-hate <laughs> moment. They didn't stop there. They had a pretty sizable UDFA class. Uh, not as many standouts, but again, Goody and his staff, when they go to the seventh round and then into the UDFA process, because all, that all kind of mixes together, depending on who gets picked and who doesn't, they tend to look for different things than I do. They, The Packers in years past have not had what I would consider super high-end UDFA classes they don't go for the names their specific qualities that they like might be analytics might be game tape performance might be what their coaches say but their eye for that sort of lower end talent's a little bit different as it was um lots and lots of players only want to highlight two Tyler Goodson the running back from Iowa watched his tape fairly late because he was sort of a third tier running back for me he's got pop in their system he doesn't They don't need him in any stretch of the imagination they have a very good running back room right now but he could provide value for them and if they stash him on the practice squad i don't think anybody's coming to get him again he went undrafted every team had multiple shots at him but there's something there in certain plays uh especially sort of that slash inside iowa middle zone he has a knack uh, he had a ton of success there doing that. So he was sort of in one of those players that caught my eye in this list. Um, sorry, I lied. It's three. Uh, Ryder Anderson, the edge from Indiana, um, raw, but showed some good flash on film. Don't know if he stuck. And then Ellis Brooks, the linebacker from Penn State. Think he should have been drafted just as a special teams demon alone, the fact that the Packers pick him up for free again out of a sort of talented rotation of three linebackers that came out of Penn State. The fact that he slipped through the seventh round and they get Ellis Brooks for free, Ellis Brooks can play. like, And I mean in base defense can play. He'll, he'll make he, it for sure. He has to continue developing, but right now you just got yourself a special teams ace for nothing. So um, while they didn't have a, again, ton of you know name and lights types, five of these guys are going to stick guaranteed because they always do on the Packers.
0: Yeah. And, and considering the amount of roster shedding they had to do <laughs> for all their cap stuff, this is a roster that I think is, is makeable for UDFAs. The top 22 outside of a couple position groups is excellent, but the depth I think still needs to be replenished to several position groups. And I think there's a lot of openings here that are that are possible, especially especially for Ryder Anderson, uh Ellis Brooks, Tyler Goodson. I just looked him up. They didn't keep him. Anderson's gone already?
1: Yeah, he was a camp invite. So he wasn't he didn't sign a contract. He was a show up and we'll see if we want to keep you. He's not currently on their roster. It doesn't mean they won't bring him back. They took a look at him. Of course the medical staff got to look so that's another benefit that I think a lot of people don't assign to these either camp invites or tryout type players is you get them in your building. You get to talk to them. You get to run them around a little bit. You get to look at them if you have a question about an injury history, combine recheck, that kind of a thing. So it doesn't mean he won't be there in the future, but he's not currently on the roster.
0: That's really surprising to me considering their edge depth or rather lack of edge depth. Their edge three right now, which is the guy that's coming in, you know, to give Gary and Preston Smith a breather is... And Iqbari, their rookie fifth round pick. They don't got anybody else. You know, unless you're really a fan of Randy Ramsey or Jonathan Garvin, they don't got anybody else. I I have to imagine by the end of preseason, you know, when people are going through waivers and everything like that, they're gonna have to get another one. They have to. Or a you know, a vet minimum guy. They're way too thin at that spot. Like I love the starting tandem. Starting tandem's incredible. Everything
1: after that. <laughs> use it's, a little bit of work. It's not unlike the Vikings, who we talked about <laughs> yeah. yesterday. When you look at that, especially on defense, the starters on defense, incredible, right? Front to back, they really are great. And in some positions, yeah, they have good depth. In some positions, if they take a couple of injuries, it's not going to be a pretty picture for them. So it, it really is that. Oh, look at the starters. <laughs> Pay attention. Some some positions on defense, not super well stocked.
0: All right, final segment, team floor, team ceiling. Kind of mentioned it yesterday. Even though I have a ceiling one win higher than the Vikings of 12 wins, it is possible for them to get to 12 wins as a ceiling. That number is literally just out of deference to Aaron Rodgers. In terms of most likely win total, I have them at, Probably 11, right right where I have the Vikings. I think they're both going to be at about 11, maybe 10, depending on how quickly they can get off the ground. Because again, the receiver problem is a problem. I can't imagine they're going to be below 9. That's my floor. It, it would take an injury to Rodgers for that to even be conceivable. But I'm not 100% sure that the gap between them and the Vikings is even a gap anymore. If you put Devontae Adams on this roster, yeah, it's not even a question. Without Devontae Adams, I I, I can't firmly say that Green Bay is going to win this division. So yeah, it's possible they get to 12, just because Aaron Rodgers is a demigod. Is it likely? I can't say so at this point. I think the loss of Adams is just too important. He was everything to them in terms of you know, those gotta have it plays where he and Aaron just glance at each other and make shit up on the spot. It's a very similar connection to how Kelsey and Mahomes operate, where there's whatever play is called, and then there's what Aaron and Devante are doing. And it could be based on split, leverage, alignment, you know, the, the freedom that he has within calls to just kind of adjust his route knowing that Aaron reads defense is the same way as him that element is gone and I can't count how many times that element dug them out of seemingly impossible holes at the end of games all of these fourth quarter comebacks that we're used to seeing with Rodgers a lot of them were made possible because he and Devonte doing impossible shit together that togetherness is no longer together for lack of a better way to say it I just I, I don't have full confidence without Devontae there being the safety blanket in Rodgers being able to pull out 12 wins again. And it's not that the Packers are a bad team. They're a great team. But rarely have I ever seen a receiver be this important to a football team. And I just can't confidently
1: say that there is a gap
0: anymore between them and the Vikings.
1: There's a gap, and it's Aaron Rodgers. The gap is more narrow. We talked about this Last night and again tonight, it's uh, it's it's still there because it's still Aaron Rodgers. To your point, there's going to be a lot more frustration. There is there are going to be a lot more times when he looks for that, expects it because he's very used to it, and it's not there. Somebody doesn't get open. Somebody drops that ball. The conversion doesn't occur, and we're going to have to see how he weathers that disappointment because he has shown lots of disappointment. He shows disappointment on his sleeve. He chucks iPads on the sideline or sorry, Microsoft surfaces didn't mean it. Microsoft (laughs) like when he's frustrated, people know it's, it's not a secret and he's going to be more frustrated because he cannot just whip it up to the best receiver in football anymore and expect great shit to happen. So there is, a gap it is smaller and until he's gone this division is theirs because he will will it to be so now if he gets injured sure but my ceiling and floor are the same as yours ceiling is 12 i just don't think they're gonna rip off 13 but they do have great stability they do have a great offensive line they do have great running backs and a very good running game to go with it Their defense is very good, and like you said, at the end of last season was playing at a high enough level to not only keep them in games, but, you know, get them back in some games when they needed it. So I really do think double-digit wins, absolutely, 12, I could see that as likely. Do I think they get to 13? I don't because Devontae not being there is going to cost them a game or two at the end. Are they still going to have the Vikings number? Until the Vikings prove otherwise or Aaron Rodgers is hurt, yeah, they still have the Vikings number and I'm not going to bet against them. Spoken like a traumatized Bears fan. (laughs) 100%. I've seen it too many times and it's so funny. There was national games last year outside the NFC North when the Packers were playing outside the division and people were like, He's only got like 54 seconds. He's not going oh, out. Oh, you like, knew. You and knew I'm like, <laughs> shut up, people. Like, you didn't know that he just feeds off that. It's like, Vecna, like, don't no, do it. Like, no. And they did, and he did, and then he smiled, gave that little smirk, nodded, you know. Yep, that's what I do. I do it all the time. Oh, you're not familiar with that? Uh, wait wait four years. I'll come back to town, do it again. So until that's over, like, they still have their spot on top of the hill, and they will still, the Vikings might come and take their lunch money once, not at Lambeau, right? Um, when they come to Lambeau, all bets are off. That place is an unassailable fortress. I mean, they were perfect there last year. You know, tell. wake me up when Rodgers decides to hang him up, and I'll tell you that the Packers aren't going to be in the mix for the top of the division, top of the conference, and, you know, a fairly assured playoff spot. If he keeps smoking all
0: this peyote in the desert whatever it's doing to his body it's doing something right because i don't think he's ever going to stop man he's like 38 and still throws like he's 25 he and brady i i don't understand how they are completely defying what yeah. should be physically possible like we're used to seeing quarterbacks their age disintegrate Peyton was disintegrating at, at this age yeah rogers coming off at back-to-back MVPs. he's yep. playing better than he ever has it's how you're a grandparent in NFL years, and he's better than everybody. I yep. it pisses me off,
1: man. Pisses me <laughs> off. <laughs> it I am I am of two minds about that. It pisses me off, but I put that aside long ago because I was so used to it happening, and now I just enjoy it. Because if you can't enjoy Aaron Rodgers playing football as a football fan, you can't enjoy football. Like that is some of the most beautiful football being played today. He plays that position like no one else does and even Tom says no he's more gifted than I am he is not one near as much as Tom and I'm not saying he is greater than Tom because Tom's legacy is cemented as the greatest quarterback of all time Rodgers even Tom says nope Rodgers is way more talented physically talented than I am and if you can't appreciate him sort of rolling out and just flipping a ball off his back foot 40 yards two inches over the coverage hand into the waiting arms of the receiver over and over and over again. We're just we're we're like callous to it. I mean I know Packers fans are callous to it because they think it's completely normal and it's like that's not normal. Very few people on the planet can do that like five I don't know. They saw one game
0: of non-Rodgers when Love came in. They're like oh shit that's what the rest of the league deals with.
1: (laughs) Ask them if they remember that. They'll be like what are you what are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> Most of them just blacked out and I don't mean from drinking. I just mean they saw that and like it flipped the register. It just reset the computer. They were like, "What? No, that no. That's supposed to be complete. Like that always gets complete." What it? I'll just go to next week. Like they don't even acknowledge that game occurred because it is so traumatic.
0: Oh god. Well, we're not done with the NFC North. We're coming back tomorrow talking probably significantly more Packers. Uh, when we're doing our nfc north macro recap making predictions for the division as well as award predictions within the division mvp player of the year rookie of the year coach of the year of course division winner all that kind of stuff so if you're a packers fan listening to this and you want to hear even more praise about your own team because i'm sure plenty of it is coming uh, feel free to come back tomorrow same time same place and if you're not a packers fan and you are just watching and listening and trying to catch up on every single team all 40 episodes we're doing in the series thank you we appreciate it couldn't do this out you guys so cheers to you and uh yeah we'll see you all tomorrow morning uh friday yeah friday sorry time is a time, time is, is, a is a blur at this point uh we'll see you all tomorrow for that and uh until then we love you
1: later take care.